Welcome to the Therapy Deconstructed Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Wims, therapist, coach, and a UK chartered counseling psychologist. So my mission here is to talk about therapy in a way that's easy to understand and to dispel any misunderstandings and rumors about what therapy is, who it's for, and who it's not for. This podcast is my way of deconstructing the conventional wisdom and the media narratives about therapy and explaining what's what. I will offer you the tools and support needed to live the life you've always dreamed of living. So together, we can use our resources and understanding to help you to take advantage of this beautiful thing and live a life with the most possibilities. So let's pull back this curtain and remove the mystery, the secrecy, and the stigma attached to the whole thing. Hi, welcome back. I'm Dr. Bonnie Wims, and I'm happy, happy to talk with you again this month. I was just reading something a little while ago about therapy, kind of in preparation for today. And have you, any of you ever done goat yoga? Apparently, it's therapeutic. So <laughs> I have not done goat yoga, but apparently people do describe that it feels great. I think I saw something with puppy yoga also. The reason I'm talking about puppy or goat yoga is this month's podcast is about the uh, the misunderstandings, I think, around therapy, what is therapeutic. And although I do think sometimes it's a joke, nobody probably really thinks goat yoga is therapeutic, I think there are misunderstandings about the difference between maybe what is helpful as a coping strategy, something that can help calm you or center you, or just make you feel more relaxed or decompress from stress, and something that is really properly therapy. So, you know, your friend, your dog, yoga, as great as they are, they aren't therapists. And the distinction is important because I think sometimes people may talk to themselves in a way after trying some of these things that, you know, try to convince themselves that it's working or maybe their challenges they're having around their mental wellness, you know, the anxiety or depression or just a general sense of sort of not feeling as mentally well as you, as you think you could be. And so I, I think it's important that we talk about what therapy really is and how helpful it can be to some really specific things that we all sort of struggle with at times. So in the sort of way we do things here on this podcast, I tell stories. And this story is a continuation of one that I've started around my own life. You know, hopefully just a little bit of a warning. It's a bit about my own, you know, abusive childhood. And, you know, not to bring you down (laughs) because it's actually... It's a really good story as far as the outcome, but, you know, there were some really tough times growing up, and I grew up in an alcoholic abusive home with a an alcoholic father who was definitely traumatized by his own childhood and subsequent things that happened to him in his life, and a codependent mother who really wanted to help him with the best of intentions. And there were eight of us, um, I have seven siblings, and I was the second to youngest. So I watched a lot of abuse, and I watched a lot of the dynamics between my older siblings as they began to get 
to the age where they could leave home. And I watched that dynamic between um, my father and my siblings. So being the second to youngest, one by one, my siblings would leave. And most of them left under the cover of darkness in the middle of the night because leaving the home was not an easy thing. My father, I think, had a, an illusion of this happy family. And even though it was the opposite of that most of the time, I think he always really wanted that. So anybody leaving was seen as a threat to that. So people had to run away, even at the age of 19, 20, 21. My older siblings would leave. So waking up to my mother crying, a bedroom that's kind of been hastily packed and now empty of a sibling, was a common occurrence by the time I was 15. I, four of my older siblings had left the home. And this particular morning, I woke up to the sound of my mother crying in the adjoining bedroom that was in the basement. So I had one half and my older brother had the other half. And my mother was in that room crying. I think I pretty much knew when I woke up what it was that was going on. Uh, That was consistent with the process that my mother would cry and there would be a lot of sadness about the latest sibling who had run away. And the thing is, once they left, they rarely came back. So there was not, you know, they really left our lives. And so when I got up and went to her, I saw, you know, by the signs of the room that my brother had left. And this real fear took over for me, worse than any of the other ones leaving. I think because now I was getting older and it sort of felt like my number was coming up. You know, I was getting older and getting to the point where I would be maybe the focus of more more of the actual direct abuse instead of maybe just watching it. Although it had happened to me, but it, it was definitely always perpetrated against the older siblings more. So I went off to school as you do, a 15-year-old, and then I had a part-time job. And I went off to that part-time job. I was a waitress at a cafe in a mall. I think my mother drove me there. I wasn't driving, obviously, at 15. And as the evening went on, the cold reality of going home to a home where my brother was no longer became unbearable. And I called one of my older sisters, really the only one that said to me when she left, if you needed help, you know, to call her. So I did. And we sat on the phone. I think multiple times I would hang up and do some work and come back and call her again. And I just really knew I couldn't go home. But the alternative was that I was going to be a 15-year-old running away from home. And my sister wanted to make sure I understood the repercussions of that, that this was not going to be a simple leave home, that my parents would definitely fight it. So it was, we didn't know how that would look, but we knew it would be complicated. Leaving it probably too late, I eventually said, yes, please come get me. And my sister lived, you know, probably 40, 45 minutes away. And it was getting close to the end of my shift, which my father was going to be at the mall at the pre-planned entrance waiting in his car for me to pick me up after my shift. And it was getting pretty close to that time, too close, actually. So 
my sister told me to just go walk in the mall, just just get away from the restaurant, get away from where he would expect me to be and uh, wait for her. And she would be at a specific other entrance at a specific time. You know, this is all pre-cell phones and all that. So I'm walking the mall, scared to death, 15-year-olds crying, really not clear. I've got my bag from school and I'm wearing my uh, waitress uniform, which is scratchy polyester green dress of all things. And I'm pacing and trying to avoid eye contact with people and just look normal. And then I was paged. My father had eventually come in to the restaurant, asked about me, and now had the mall page me. So now I was really nervous because, or terrified, not nervous, because I was sure a security guard would be looking for me. And I was pretty obvious in my green uniform. So I'm sort of hiding and ducking into stores and just really that 40 minutes felt like hours. Eventually the right time came. I rushed to that exit. My sister pulled up in her truck and I ran to the door expecting to sort of tell her, you know, I think he's looking for me when she screams, get in, get down. He's right around the corner. She had driven right past him and seen him. She didn't think he'd seen her because he hadn't seen her for several years and had no idea what she drove, but we needed to get out of there. So I am now on the floorboards of a truck in this uniform, my heart pounding, um, just silent. And she's driving crazy, getting us out of there. And we didn't speak. We didn't say anything, I don't think, for several minutes until she eventually said, I think you can get up now. And I sat up and we drove the rest of the way back to her home in kind of stunned silence, I think, about just realizing we had really done something here. This was not going to go easy. The reason I tell that story is that you can imagine, like looking back on it now, you can imagine that Bonnie as a 16, as a sorry, 15-year-old and going through just the trauma of leaving, the trauma of that morning of my brother having left in the middle of the night, the trauma of, of having grown up in a an abusive home, witnessing horrible violence and witnessing the way in which we all interacted as a result of it. That You know, this 15-year-old girl could use some help. You know, she wasn't probably quite as uh, well as she could be. I survived trauma, you know. It was going to impact how I saw myself. Of course it was. But you know, there was a court situation, uh, but eventually I was granted temporary, my sister was granted temporary custody of me. And I went about the business of reconstructing my life in a new city and uh, changed schools, obviously. Needed to get a part-time job because my sister was not, uh, had no children and wasn't prepared to really support a 15-year-old. And anything I would want, maybe that would be, you know, above and beyond food and room and board, I would need to provide for myself. So I, I did that. You know, I went to school and I went to class and I made friends and I got a part-time job. And I even had a wonderful boyfriend, eventually my first boyfriend, who was sweet and kind and generous and taught me that relationships didn't have to be violent. So I went about, you know, reconstructing my life. I do remember 
that there was a therapy appointment, maybe one or two back then, but someone paired me with a man. And at that stage in my life, going to see a therapist who was a male and talking about the abuse that I had um, endured and witnessed just wasn't, I guess I just simply, it didn't take, you know, I didn't feel that I could talk to this man. I don't think there was anything wrong with him, but it just wasn't uh, the right person for me at the time. I don't know what happened. I know that no one ever called me or my sister and said, she has to find another therapist. It was sort of dropped. Uh, So that was that. And I think, you know, I've tried therapy a couple times after that. There were things that would back up on me and I would not quite understand why, you know, life for all intents and purposes was going quite well. I had a career. I fell in love. I got married and children from the outside. Once again, it looked good and it was good. It is good. But the way I talked to myself, the way I understood myself, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and, and depression around, around that, you know, things kind of happening simultaneously where I'd be anxious about encounters with people. I'd be anxious with um, some social settings my confidence. And there was definitely a lot of, you know, mood swings and and I could be quite sensitive and take things quite personally. So what could therapy have done for me back then? Well, I think there are five key points here that I think therapy could have really helped a 15 plus year old who has escaped basically from a violent abusive home. First of all, we know from research that Children have this unfortunate habit of blaming themselves when there's abuse. So the way in which we understand what's happening to us is it's, it seems that we're unable to see the perpetrators as to blame them or find them responsible. So we blame ourselves. Uh, it gets sort of settled inside of ourselves that, you know, if we could only have been maybe a little bit better, maybe if we hadn't fought. Uh, with our siblings or been too loud or, you know, we could have done things to prevent some of the abusive, violent outbreaks. I think there were times in my house where we were actually made to apologize after just to see if that was something that would work. My mother enlisted all sorts of tactics to see what she could do to try to get the abuse to stop. And so that message was heard loud and clear. I'm apologizing for having been beaten. So we blamed ourselves, and that manifested into all sorts of unpleasant self-talk, and then globalized itself to me blaming myself for other relationships when they went wrong. So it really, the blame, the self-blame, and the shame in that was, and could be still quite strong at times. Related to that, the second one is this idea of what was wrong with me that I grew up in this home, that this happened to me. It's related to self-blame, but it's also just this innate fear that there's something wrong with you. And that shows up in any relationship you have, and certainly in dating as a young woman, this real tendency to worry that something was wrong with me, that I attracted that, and the real fear that I would attract it again. I remember asking my mother sometimes, you know, 
what were the warning signs so that I would make sure I could pick those up in a guy that I would date. And she didn't really give me any. She didn't understand them herself. So the idea that maybe there was something wrong with me that I would attract that again was definitely present in my early life. The third thing is I didn't understand alcoholism at all. You know, this idea of, I think it still shows up today where people will blame the alcohol for their bad behavior. And although you can have blackouts and certainly can't remember at times what you've done, alcohol is not the excuse or alcohol cannot be blamed. It's your behavior is coming from somewhere deeper. So I didn't understand what alcoholism was. I didn't understand how it showed up in my father's life. I didn't understand how it showed up in my life, you know, as a late teen, early 20s, um, starting to go out and drink, binge as you do, and then worrying whether or not my growing up with the alcoholism and then my own drinking as a child, you know, as a teenager, and worrying that maybe my binge drinking would be a sign of alcoholism. And that carried with all of my siblings and judgments and, you know, watching each other for uh, signs of alcoholism, even though we didn't really understand it. The fourth thing is understanding uh, what trauma does to someone. Uh, We probably all heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, And for a lot of years, it was thought of as something that exclusively happened for military. You know, people who were in severe situations of warfare where they saw violence, death, incredible trauma in that way. So trauma, I think, is something that's been misunderstood in the past, that it wasn't something that could happen maybe to everyday people in everyday life. And now we understand trauma much more in the fact that, you know, if you find it traumatic, if it impacts you in a way where I can only explain it as a visceral sort of -of out-of-body experience where you are so terrified, that's trauma. So whether or not I thought I was going to die or whether or not I was just so scared that I had complete terror, that's trauma. And that physiological impact on you is very long-lasting, and also on your mental health. You know, you've heard of veterans startling at a backfire of a car or things like that. For me, you know, I found men to be triggering, and I found large, angry men to be very triggering. I found older men to be triggering. I didn't know how to separate what happened from my father from general male population. So it impacted how I dated, who I dated, impacted my behavior with men. And so that trauma response was hugely impactful on how what I chose to do and who I chose to be around. And the fifth and final thing is, you know, 15 is such a vulnerable age. I don't know if you've seen any 15-year-olds lately, but the kind of contrasts that I see of a 15-year-old is I thought I knew everything. I thought that as a 15-year-old, you know, I figured it out and I could do anything. I know now, you know, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. What I knew was my instinct and my instinct told me to get out, to run. Just pure, you know, by witnessing what happened to people who didn't leave. So 
my sense of self, you know, this defining moment of leaving that home and everything that happened after that with the custody and my relationship with my mother and my relationship with my other siblings, both the ones that were still at home and the ones that were out. It was, you know, my sense of who I was was really kind of, I guess I think of it as kind of beat up, dented. So it was difficult for me to understand who I was. It was difficult for me to understand how to challenge myself. You know, everyday challenges like, you know, interviewing for a job or going for something more difficult in life. I, I didn't trust. I didn't know that I was capable. And so I really had a very low sense of self-worth. And in that low sense of self-worth, I made choices and decisions sometimes that were diminishing to me, that weren't positive, that weren't, you know, toward a successful whatever that looks like for me, wasn't helpful for me. And um, I think that could have been something that could have been worked on at a much earlier time in my life. I guess I'm giving off a sense of wasted time. And I don't want to say that my life has been wasted because I didn't have therapy until I was, you know, in my 50s, serious therapy. I don't see it that way. I had a lot of amazing, wonderful times and my children and my marriage and my life. I had just great friends and lots of fun times. But I think my understanding of myself, you know, that I like myself, the the connection to myself has deepened through therapy and also being a therapist. I've been able to do the important work that has helped me pay attention to my self-talk and to think about my thinking and be very aware of what I say to myself. So like I said, I've worked through a lot of the challenges and I think The main thing that I would leave you with that I think proper therapy with a psychologist uh, does for you, that yoga with goats does not, is that it helps you integrate, you know. There's an integration between uh, a part of you that feels insecure or doesn't have a sense of true worth or questions her abilities And then there's the grown-up you who's lived life and challenges herself at the age of 50 to get her doctorate in psychology, who's lived in another country, who challenges herself all the time, including doing this podcast. There's a part of me that has risen above that and is able to handle things, take care of things, the grown-up me. So integrating some of that insecurity and low self-worth from my childhood as a result of what happened to me with a, just a better sense of what I am and a more confident sense of self, integrating those two together has then given me a chance to feel more competent, confident, and just have a, a life that feels less about trying to prove something wrong. I sit in myself much more comfortably now than I ever did before, and I thank therapy for that exclusively. It was life-changing for me. And um, it's something that if, you know, you find yourself wondering if it would help you, you can always, you know, chat with a therapist, myself, and explore that question. You know, just see if what it is that you feel that isn't helping you is something that we can together work on to, to help resolve. 
it's not a quick fix and it's not an easy overnight thing. But trust me, it's well worth it. And it is something that I think every day that I did because it's changed everything for me. Thanks for listening. And I hope uh, this was useful to you. And I'll see you uh, next month. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you've learned a thing or two that you can apply today. To explore further or to get in touch with me, just visit my website at bonniewims.com. There you can book a complimentary 30-minute online video session to ask me any questions and determine if working together feels right for you. Or you can submit your questions about therapy and I'll do my best to offer answers on an upcoming episode. Remember, therapy might not be for everyone, but it may be right for you. Thank you.